1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and I'm delighted to welcome you back to yet another week of the Business Elevation Show, and today we're going to be talking about first and fast, and about how to outpace your competitors, lead your markets, and accelerate your growth. Um, I'm going to be talking today with my guest, uh, Stuart Cross, and before we start to Stuart, I'd like to say a big thank you to Sean Smith, who joined us last week and had some great ideas and inspiration. Uh, in the show about or On Purpose about delivering a branded customer experience that people really love so I recommend if you're that customer experience is something that you're interested in go back and listen to that show and pick up Sean's book um, On Purpose because there really are some good insightful uh, ideas there about how some of the you know, real leading edge companies like Zappos and, and organizations like that um, who do uh, go out and make a, a real difference when it comes to experience So for the past thirty years or so, business leaders have really exhorted to move faster and adopt a a ready fire aim approach to the growth of their business, according to my guest today, Stuart Cross. As a level of change and turbulence increases in all markets, all organizations have to adapt and quickly. Or they risk decline and decay. But what are the real behaviors, the real processes, the techniques that are critical to lead your organization at or a pace without creating confusion that often occurs or frustration or unnecessary risk. Now, Stuart Cut- Cross is a consultant, he's a coach, a speaker, and author, and he helps world class companies dramatically accelerate profit growth. Since uh, launch in 2006, his firm Morgan Cross Consulting has attracted clients including Avon Cosmetics, uh, Alliance Boots, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Group Hairplan. He's he's the first consultant in the UK to achieve Hall of Fame membership of the prestigious Alan Weiss Million Dollar Consultant Mentor Programme. And prior to founding Morgan Cross, uh, Stuart was head of strategy for Boots the Chemists, and he helped plan and deliver the successful £7 billion merger with Alliance Unichem. Uh, Stuart also teaches on MBA courses at both Warwick and Nottingham University Business School. He's authored lots of books, a number of them including First and Fast to Outpace Your Competitors, Lead Your Markets and Accelerate Your Growth. And he says that as part of an early midlife crisis, Stuart joined a rock band, The Imposters, as guitarist. But don't expect to see him at a venue near you anytime soon. So a big welcome to
2: Stuart Cross. Thanks very much, Chris. Delighted to be here.
1: You're very welcome. So we've got a few things in common, and uh, one of those is we, we play, play the guitar,
2: and, and football as well. Yes. <laughs> I know fun? you're a Leicester City fan. I'm a
1: Leicester City fan, so I'm on a, on a big high after celebrating with 240,000 people on Monday as winning the Premier League, which was, that was amazing, completely amazing. Uh, completely astonishing. Uh, 5,000 to 1. I've obviously been very excited about it. I mentioned it on a show. Someone asked me only a couple of weeks ago, said, Have you had a show in about the last 10 or 15 that you haven't mentioned Leicester City? So um, it still continues. But I wonder what, what inspired you to do what you're doing and what have you learned about speed and pace from football and from guitars? Oh, wow. The,
2: um, the, I mean, I mean I, uh, uh, my background is in business, business and strategy, as yes, you, you said, said in, in your uh, introduction. introduction. Um, um, I, uh, I, I, I work so now with a range of different, different clients, different, different sectors, different, sectors different, different sizes. And what I found is that pace is an ever more critical issue for, for all of my clients. And so really that's where the idea for the book came from. I was thinking, what are some practical ways I can help them um, improve <laughs> the speed which they operate and deliver their strategy. But if I, if I go back to your question, Chris, and I think about um, guitars and I think about football, um, Let's start with guitars. Um, I started playing the guitar when I was 15, but I, I didn't join my first band until I was 45. So I, I basically spent three decades practicing on my own. And I've learned more in the last five years when I've been as part of a band than I did in the previous 30. And I think it's something about pace is about um, not keeping your ideas to yourself, not thinking through things too deeply. It's about having a mindset of, Getting your ideas out there, sharing them, trying them, testing them, but work, doing that by working with others and through others rather than uh, rather than on your own. Um, so that's the guitar side. Let me have a think about football. Um, well, let's go back to Leicester City. There, there is something I, I think that pace, pace at its heart, is a leadership task, and and the leader is critical is in setting the environment and the culture, and a, le- a new leader can make a big difference to the culture of an organisation very quickly. Just as a new coach or a new manager can make a difference to the results of a football team, as you've seen with uh, Signor Ranieri at, um, uh, at Leicester. Um, the leader can give people confidence, can show them the way forward, can set the boundaries and create a, a, a team spirit, really. And, and I, I would say in terms of football, that role of the leader um, kind of shines through for me.
1: I think one of the things that I've loved about his leadership is the way that he's managed people's expectations and he's sort of managed the pressure. He always kept the focus on the next game, on the next step. And I think in business, you know, we we sometimes do lose that that focus about what we're doing today and what we're doing tomorrow and actually doing it to the best of our ability uh, and giving it that attention. I think that's one of the things that he's really done very well.
2: Yeah. And I think I think in sport, I always think about sport. One of the interesting things is that what happens when people think they have a chance of winning. And and some people freeze at that point. You see it in lots of golf championships. Call it the yips, don't You, you get the yips. Um and, and and you saw it with in the in the league, you saw it with Tottenham Hotspur, didn't you? The, the, they started to freeze with just a few games to go. The the pressure started to tell on them. But for Leicester it didn't. And I think Ranieri takes a great deal of credit because he really took the pressure off the off the players, but he also he also built the commitment of the players. they obviously had a great bond together as a team and and they saw it as a real opportunity rather than they didn 't see the threat of losing they saw the the opportunity of winning and I think that 's critical
1: so I guess that you know that, that example demonstrates how you can go from you know, how, how performance can really, really shift because, you know, their performance, they, they spent, I think, one of the longest periods at the bottom of the league, only a year ago, and that transition with a new leader, with a new focus, and it may only be, you know, 5 or 10% extra performance, but, you know, he's managed to you know,
2: uh, generate that from his team, really. Um, yeah. And, they, and, and, it, and it, it is the same with, with, with pace. I mean, I... I, I, I work with, as I say, a variety of organisations, and I see new leaders coming in, and the and the difference that they can have on the whole environment and and the culture of that organisation, sometimes positive, and and sometimes negative, and and so so that's why I say at heart leadership uh, pace is really a, a leadership task.
1: Mm. So, so who's your book uh, about speed and pace really aimed at?
2: Well. Um, it's, it's firmly aimed at practitioners. It's aimed at managers, owners, business leaders. So they might be chief executives, they might be departmental, functional heads. Um, probably likely to be kind of mid-sized businesses and, and, and above, but I'm hoping that there's something for every size of business in the book, really. Uh, but the focus for me was to write something practical. There's lots of what I would call quasi-theoretical books out there about... Um, uh, about, about the need for, for speed and pace, but there wasn't anything that grabbed me particularly that was about a 360-degree view of something that was practical that people could get hold of and have ideas that they could, um, they could deliver in their own organisation. And I wanted to give people a kind of a handbook, really, of how they could start to think about uh, increasing the pace of their organisation.
1: So, so what, from your perspective, is really really driving this this need for speed today because you know is is very prevalent and we're very yeah. aware of it.
2: The, um well well the book starts with um the story of Nokia um back in 2007 ancient history obviously in the in the in the cell phone market but back in 2007 Nokia had about a 50% share of the global smartphone market. And and um a little over five years later, that 50% share had fallen to less than 5% share. And, um, and so the business was losing cash, it was making huge losses, and it was eventually sold to Microsoft. So I thought, that well, that's really interesting. They went from hero to zero almost overnight. And you think about, well, what are the forces at play there? Some of them were internal, but there were external forces at play. And I think there were two... There were two major ones. The, the first one is obviously technolo- technology acceleration and also shortening product life cycles. So what I found was that the, the, the development of adoption of new technology is growing exponentially. So it took 64 years for domestic landlines to reach 40% penetration in the US. So it took 64 years for 40% of US households to have a landline phone in them. But it took less than 10 years to reach that same level of penetration for smartphones. And -hmm. it was even quicker for tablets. Um, So that pace of acceleration, but also shortening product lifecycle, kind of really critical. And the other is um, slightly linked to that, but it's about globalization and what I call left-field competition. I think it's far harder to say now where your new competitors are, are going to come from. So for Nokia... Their the first main competitor was Apple, and that was a that was a computer manufacturer. So it had Apple, in it, and it had Samsung, but then it had all of these um, low-cost Chinese um, manufacturers who probably weren't even around in the early 2000s at the turn of the century, who started eating into their business. And and so I don't think the Nokia management just really saw this coming, and and. And things changed far more quickly than they could really cope with.
1: <coughs> uh, sort of a little bit priced that time. I used to go to Finland fairly regularly, and the you know, the Nokia as a brand, it was the first thing that kind of hit you when you got to the airport, and you just felt this huge national pride at Nokia. I, I imagine this must have had a dent. You know, their, their failure must have had a dent on the country and how they feel about themselves.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it the, did. The, um, I was in Nokia's head office in London just after the first iPhone came out, and I was chatting to some of the managers there about it, and I, I was showing them mine and saying, oh, this is going to change everything, because it's not a phone. It's a computer in your hand. Mm. It does You can phone, but it's really a computer that fits into your hand. And they dismissed it. They, they, they just thought, well, it's a niche product. It might appeal to some, but it's not going to change the market. We're going to carry, you know... So as as I say, some of the things were internal, but they just didn't quite see um, exactly what was around the corner.
1: Yeah, sometimes as if you I guess if you're driving a big juggernaut, sometimes it's hard to be flexible. Perhaps. If, if yeah. The well, Yeah,
2: but it, they were kind of middle managers, and I, I just felt that if they were if they were saying that, that's the message they they were getting. Yeah. Um from the top and there didn't seem to be any urgency about what I thought was a, you know, it seemed to me as an outsider not knowing anything about the phone market that this was a complete game changer.
1: Is that why you say, and if one of your sayings is that nothing fails like success, is it you know, is that why you say that? Because uh, do, they were very Yeah, I
2: do, I do say nothing fails like success and and um, kind of what, what I mean by that is that a lot of com- companies don't fail because, particularly because they're particularly bad at what they do and many companies actually fail because they're actually um, great at what they do, and but it's just that the market changes so quickly that they're unable to keep pace with it, and and so and that's particularly the case for successful businesses, and and so that's what you saw with um, uh, that's what you saw with Nokia. Um, I mean, uh, Leicester it's, it's taken them 120 years to win the league title. Um, but it's going to be even harder for them to win it next season. You know, it, It's hard to become successful, but it's even harder to sustain it. My team, I support Preston North End, which many people won't have heard of, particularly in the US, but they actually won the league title. They were quick off the blocks. They won the league title in the first season in 1889, wow. and then they won it the following season in 1890, and they've never won it since. Um, so they found it really hard to sustain any any kind of success. But it's the same in... It's the same in business. If, I, as part of the book, I looked at the S&P 100 index and which companies were the top 100 companies in the U.S., and of the of those companies that were in the top 100 in 2006, over 40 had left that list by 2014, and that's mm. the that's the biggest companies. That's the top companies in in the U.S. find it hard to sustain. So for, so for every. For every Procter and Gamble and every GE who have been able to sustain success, there are a lot more kind of Kodaks and and Layman Brothers who who have found it more more difficult to to sustain it.
1: It's quite interesting, isn't it, that you you could see in Nokia that there was going to be likely you know with this smartphone a real challenge ahead, and you know we've been saying that we were saying that, and I was, and friends were saying that about Woolworths for a number of years before that disappeared and. In the UK, British Home Stores has just disappeared. Yeah. But you, know, you looked at their models, and you could, you, you you know, you could see that as an outsider, that they weren't, you know, you know, they weren't groundbreaking, and they were stuck in the past.
2: Yeah, but it's
1: amazing I, 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 to, to
2: my mind, there are kind of there's almost three stages for sex, why successful companies um, start to fail. So, so the first is. You you have the arrogant phase. You believe you're invincible, believe all you have to do is continue. And that, I think, was a bit at Nokia's heart of of their downfall. Mm. And that's what I picked up on when I visited their head office in in London. Um, So they have have that kind of arrogance about them that they are invincible. The, the, The second bit, second stage is defensiveness. So if you think about Uber, now wherever it launches the successful organizations try and get rid of Uber. As, um, they, they, they become defensive rather than offensive. But the third bit is inertia. So as you're saying, kind of what hit Woolworths and what's hitting a lot of UK grocers at the moment is that their business model that they've built up that's driven their success is no longer the best business model for, um, uh, for modern-day retailing. Shoppers want something different.
1: Hmm. Absolutely, and, and the shoppers realise that, but for some reason they're just not able to able to shift. I said the same thing. It's interesting with Marks and Spencers. I think they've got, you know, got great food, but they've never really managed to you know, g- hit the right mode, I don't think, with their clothing lines. They no,
2: they, they haven't. And, 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 but have a look at Tesco. Tesco were preeminent for, in the 1990s and the early part of this century, and they built huge stores that was the model that was winning but those huge stores now it's not what shoppers want they, there's much more top-up shopping now and shopping is. online and so they've got all of this wasted space and yeah. so and so they've built up this inertia that was their f- driver of success is now part of the reason that they are struggling
1: yeah yeah absolutely it's fascinating looking at things like airbnb now with uh, you know using people's houses for hotel rooms as if you, you know compared to you know, the big hotel chains, that have got the big assets. You know, suddenly one's so fleet of foot compared to the other, isn't
2: it? Yeah. Think about Uber. Lots of business models now starting up that are asset light.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to get to commercial break now. After the commercial break, we shall come back. We shall start to talk about some of the real behaviors that we see in high-paced organizations and how to start to organize yourself or your organization to, to speed up and move forward uh, more quickly and not get left behind like the uh, the Nokias that we've been talking about uh, just now. So I'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America. Tuned into the business elevation show with your host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to Chris at ChrisCooper.co.uk. That's Chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Stuart Cross, and we're talking about first and fast. And Stuart what behaviors yep. do you see in, in organizations that are actually doing this well, that are, that are high pace?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, Chris, but when you get into an organization, I think you get a feel for, um, you almost get an instant feel about is this a, an organization with, with energy and focus and speed, or, or, or is this a kind of a slower pace, more methodical kind of organization? Um, but if, if, if I think about it, let me think of a few things. might not be a, the, the definitive list, but um, I think the first thing is that all kind of fast-paced organisations have a fast-paced leader. Um, I think it's impossible to be, um, to be a company that is able to move quickly if the leadership is not of themselves kind of really driving that. So. So, as you said in the introduction, I used to work for a company called Boots the Chemists, which is the UK's biggest health and beauty retailer, and is now part of the Walgreens empire. And back in 2003, they were really struggling as a business and in finding a way to to grow. Um, and they brought in a new CEO, and he came from um, ASDA, which was, which is the UK's Wal- uh, it's the Walmart a subsidiary of Walmart in the UK. So he brought him, uh, Richard Baker, in, and Richard Baker had an immediate impact on the level, on the pace at which the organization moved. And one of the first things that he did was he sent around a memo to his executive team telling them the kind of behaviors that he expected about the role of integrity, but also about the pace, saying things like, nobody is going to work faster than we do, um, uh, we are the enemy of complexity. We keep things simple and we move and we move at pace so I think having the right leader in place is absolutely critical because they set the expectations they raise the bar for for everyone else and, and sorry are you going to say something
1: no, it's, it's fine it um,
2: another thing in there is is I find that Fast-paced businesses are willing to take action. They move to action quicker. They're more fearless. They have less fear of failure than than slower organizations. In the UK, I work with a a retailer called Dunelm. Um, In the US, there's an equivalent retailer called Bed Bath & Beyond, a very similar kind of retailers. But Dunelm, I have found, they have a very entrepreneurial leader and owner of that business. But it means that they... They have a real focus on action let's get something done let's so every meeting ends with right so what are we going to do next when are we going to follow this up they are they are willing to try things the owner is willing to try things and that that spreads um around around the organization so so that would be a second behavior and if i think about a third one um in in the book i talk about um review cadence and, and cadence is, when, when you're cycling, cadence is the speed at which your pedals are going round. What kind of cadence can you, can you achieve? And, and, and so I, I think about review cadence is, how often are you reviewing progress on your key initiatives? And many organizations get into this rhythm of monthly meetings. And I have no idea why monthly is the best, best period for some of your major projects. Mm. When I work with some of my clients, we have weekly, even the executive team will have weekly reviews of their biggest projects because they want to see rapid progress. Um, if you think about a month, it's, a month is defined as, as the, um, the cycle of the moon. Why would you let the cycle of the moon drive the pace at which you deliver some of your most important strategic ambitions?
1: It's a bit like, <clears throat> that's a bit like having you know, different cogs on your bike, isn't it? You know, with one, one obviously going around, going around quicker, are making the, the the peddling easier uh, in the sort of short term. Uh, one thing I've sort of built into my business of, of late is that we we have w- we have weekly meetings, we have weekly, monthly, and quarterly. So the quarterly is yeah. st- strategy, and the weekly and monthly a bit more, you know, operational. What's the focus on the next key things for the next week, and the the monthly is the key focus for the next month, and we work yeah. with a ninety day plan.
2: But but uh-huh. I but I, I would, what I would say to you is why don't um, why why not do weekly strategy meetings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and by that I mean some of your biggest projects, some of your most important things that you're trying to achieve with your business. Why not review progress on that on a weekly basis? So, ASDA back in the early 1990s, ASDA were really struggling as a, as a kind of big grocer in the UK that were struggling. And Archie Norman and Alan Layton came in as a new management team. And one of the things that they did is they started reviewing. They, they set up all these initiatives, but they had a 6.30 a.m. review of those initiatives every Monday morning in store. Well, to see. They wanted to see progress. What have we done in the last week? What are we going to do in the next yes. seven days? Um, I think Amazon do a weekly, have a weekly meeting for some of their biggest projects at a senior level as well. Why not kind of raise your? I, I find in in faster paced organisations there's this hunger for delivery. So we're not going to wait a month. We're going to do things. You know, we're going to wait a week.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I think I think completely uh, completely agree. I think uh, th- they certainly do help focus the mind if you if you're meeting regularly and you're you're talking regularly and you're you're, s- you're tightening the the time horizon. Get a pro- get a project and make some steps over a month. It's uh, you get much more done if it's one of the steps you're making taking this week.
2: Yeah, virtually every, every organization I've been to, managers will do the work they need to do the day before they're being called to account for it. Mm. So, if, if they have to do a review, or if they have to do, they'll do it the day before because they've got a list of a mile long. So, if you're waiting a month, that's going to take them a month before they do it. If you're waiting a week, they'll do it in seven days. You just get <coughs> and it just shows them what's the important. If where the leaders spend their time shows the rest of the organization what's critical. So if all they're talking about is th- this week's sales, that's what people will focus on. But if they're balancing that with some long-term, is, some long-term projects are just as important as our short-term projects, then they'll get a different set of behaviors in the organization.
1: Mm. How, how is that? How you best organize yourself for speed? Then is it about frequency of meeting or the other things that you might do?
2: Well, there's definitely more that you need to do in terms of organization. I think I think the first thing is um, the kind of lean organization is, is is critical. So it might feel more comfortable to have spare resource and spare, spare capacity. You think you can achieve more with with that? But in in, in my experience that. That just um, the the extra people don't add to productivity. They they actually they actually reduce it. So instead of having two people in a meeting making a decision, you have four people. What you tend to find is that meeting just takes a lot longer because everybody wants to have their say. But you just get the same decision, or maybe even even a worse decision. Um, and if you go around a head office, what do you see? You see people tapping on their computers, sending and responding e- uh, emails. From, from their colleagues, they're not really adding to. Um, they're not really adding to the uh, to the productivity of the organisation. So as long as your agenda is focused and you know what your priorities are, then a lean organisation is critical to, to delivery. Um, next thing I would say is that a focus on simplicity is um, is essential, and a simple organisation is a faster than a than a complex one. And I have no. I've never been able to work out why anybody would move to a matrix organisation. To, to my mind, they just create confusion. They people don't really aren't clear on what their decision rights are. Who's making this decision? Who's making that decision? And it just slows slows everything down. I think you need those kind of clear accountabilities. People understanding what their objectives are. People having some elbow room to make decisions within that. Um, but. But but avoiding kind of unnecessary complexity in the organisation. So keep things simple. Stupid. Exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: how do you? So you know there must be some issues with trying to move faster. You know sometimes I would uh, you know, would argue that the long way round is actually the short way round. Uh, and, and an example I'm sort of giving i would give is you know something i worked on for a, a while was a, a major planning application uh, and i think with things like planning if you haven't taken the time to gain the support of relevant bodies first then you, you're likely that your plan if you pushed it t- through too quickly would fail so you know do you have to take care with that
2: um yeah yeah i mean the kind of they say they say don't they if you fail to plan you also plan to fail that is the old kind of cliche isn't it but Mm. but kind of I, I go along instead with what Mark tyson said which was everyone has a plan till they get a punch in the mouth <laughs> and uh, i mean i agree to a certain extent with what you're saying um you can't just have speed you also need some control so you know the fact if you are you a skier chris yes. Do you go skiing uh, yeah i love it well you could you know sk- the fastest way down a mountain isn't necessarily just heading straight down, because then you lose control, you're likely to fall. You have to, you have to put in some turns to keep control as, as, well, as, as well as speed. Um, so if you think about, well, what are some of those controls that you need? Um, I think you need a focused agenda. I don't think you should try and do too much at any one time. And I always find my biggest issue with many of my clients is that they are trying to do too much at once. And um, they try and move 100 things an inch when they should be trying to move three things uh, a mile. Um, so mm. let me give you... I've got a quiz question for you. Mm. Um, what is the speed of light at the centre of the sun?
1: Speed of light at the centre of the sun? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining it's almost instant. But
2: it's, not, it's not. So a Well, oh, here's, here's what I've learned. A photon of light it takes about eight minutes to go, to go from the sun to, to the earth, doesn't it? It's yeah. about eight minutes. It travels those millions of, of miles, but that same photon traveling from the center of the sun to the edge of the sun before it can be released across the universe oh, takes right. about 10,000 years.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Because there are so many atoms, because oh, everything you. is so tightly packed in there, it mm. goes at a bit less than the speed of a snail. Wow. and, 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 Projects are a bit like that. The more you have of them, the more it kind of people are working on different things, the less clear it is, people are treading on each other's toes, people want the same resources, and so you end up moving slower. I would rather say we're going to do these projects for the next six months, and once we're done those, we'll come to a list of these projects, rather than trying to do everything at once, which is what a lot of organizations do. So if you, the more you can say no... I think the 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 easier it is to move things at at speed. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Th- so so that is one element of kind of I think for the, for the, for the control in terms of um, having some control as well as just kind of speed. The other I think we've touched on haven't we? Is, is about discipline of review, follow through, keeping people, holding people to account, making sure you're making progress, seeing what's happening, adjusting things as you're going along, having that review cadence we called it. But linked to that, I think, is that it's having the ability to learn and adapt as you go along. You know, if Matt Tyson's right, everyone has a plan until you get hit in the mouth, and then you need plan B. You might need plan C, plan D. Um, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, he had a saying, or he, I read something he said once, which was, we're fixed on the vision, but flexible on the journey. And, yeah. and so whatever you think your, your plan needs to be, um, it's probably going to be wrong. So you need to try things, and you need to be able to learn and adapt as you go, and so you need good management to be able to be able to do that. But I think I think at the heart of it though is that desire to move more quickly and and get things done more quickly. And if you haven't got that, if you haven't got a leadership team who is driving that, then you're likely to end up more like a Nokia um, rather than a Procter and Gamble.
1: And how do how do you I mean, in in that kind of environment, it can be, it can be quite stressful working in it. If, you know, if everything is weekly, weekly managed, and you know you, you're going to, I've done this before, going to weekly, very senior meetings every single week. Um, you know, how, how what do you recommend to people to actually manage that um, that, that level of stress, or or, or just if you can't cope with it, are you the wrong person? Yeah, I there,
2: thought- there might be a part of that, but I, th- I think there's. It's another leadership task, isn't it? Is it? to take the pressure off people. Yeah, and and all, almost reward behaviours rather than the results. And it's like um, Ranieri at Leicester City. He yeah. took the pressure off the players, and so they were able to perform to the best. You could say that they were, under, they were having this big weekly performance coming on. They were under under big pressure, but he somehow he was able to take that pressure off them. So. Kind of use of humor. He kind of bought them a pizza because they they kept a clean sheet until early in the season. Yes, you so know. things like that, I, I think you can, there, there, were, there is pressure in high-paced organizations, but the, 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 that is the pressure of kind of success. And I think with good leadership that is able to keep some of that pressure off people so yeah. that they can work to the best of their ability rather than become kind of frozen with um, too much pressure and too much stress then that is, the, that, that is the way forward.
1: I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's taking a measure of your team and just getting a sense about how they are feeling and maybe how you need to adjust your style leading it. I remember one, one senior meeting I used to go to, yeah, it was a monthly meeting, but uh, there was probably 20, 22, 23 people in that meeting and uh, people sat there in fear of the leader. Uh, and the meeting would go on two or three hours, and suddenly the focus would go on to you, and uh, it would be intense pressure. And I think that w- that was a, you know, a leadership issue because it wasn't always getting the best from people because they didn't no. open them mouth.
2: I mean, we've all worked for people like that. I'm sure we've all worked for people like that. But you've also worked where you've worked just as hard for a really inspirational boss that you'll you'll climb mountains for. I, Um, but think about what are some ways you can do that and and, and I I think one way is this idea of focus I had a client that asked me to think through different ways to grow and I came up with about five options for them here are five ways I think you can grow as a business and you could see everyone going oh no we've got five trials that we need to work and and the leader, the owner of that business said right I like those but we're just going to do one of them we're just going to do this one and you could feel the whole energy in the room change. people had the focus, they had the clarity. right, we can get going. We can do one and, and so and so, as you say, if the leader understands that, then I think that the, you can have pace without unnecessary unnecessary pressure because unnecessary pressure is unproductive.
1: I guess the thing Ranieri's sort of demonstrated is that you can you can be a leader and an exceptionally high performing one uh, with uh, with grace, humour, and actually by being a nice person. <laughs> and he seems, yeah. to, he seems to have done that, doesn't he? He's very, he's very liked by everybody, but there's no doubt, you know, he, as the players go on the pitch, he, he says things like, Enjoy your last game, you know, just to remind them that, that yeah. might be, if they don't perform, that might be their last game, but he will say it with a wry sense of humour. But, it, but uh, you know, I think he's managed that really masterfully and demonstrated that point very well. You can be yeah. a nice person in business. In leadership.
2: No, no, I don't know. I've met. I've. I've met many, many leaders, leaders who, who have a similar style. Who are nice yeah. people, but they can get the best out of people.
1: Yes. Yes, and that's what. I guess. That's what we've got to strive. You've got to strive for if you are a leader to be able to do that, because it it takes a, you know, a little bit of personality and skill, doesn't
2: it? Yeah. You've got. You've got to be the kind of shield of the pressure. You've got to take that off your off your team allow them to, to be at their best and you've yeah. got to find ways and different people have different ways of doing that. That's okay. why I don't think there's any one leadership style. There are just leadership tasks.
1: Yeah. Well, do stay with us. Um, some fascinating information here from, uh, from um, Stuart from and uh, I've, I've even, even learned uh, how long it takes a photon to get from the center of the sun. I never expected to the outside. I never expected I would learn that as well. Um, you can amaze
2: your friends, Chris. I can amaze
1: my friends over the weekend with that facts. But we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes with some more um, inspirational, helpful uh, leadership um, and uh, pace facts. So be done with you again in just a couple of minutes.
0: Facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you.
1: What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? because there's more challenges you to make better decisions join laura ellis every monday at 9 a.m eastern 6 a.m pacific and 2 p.m gmt on the voice america business channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions better
0: business have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy
1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. and with Stuart Cross. We're talking about first and fast and outpacing your competitors, leading your markets, accelerating your growth. Stuart, some people are really, you know, they really live in the fast lane when it comes to innovation. And the organization, we mentioned Apple there is a good example. How do you become the best at it in your specific markets or industry, do you think?
2: Yeah, well, probably the first thing to say is, is that if you accept that um, nothing fails like success and you can't you can you can't rest on your laurels then then innovation is it's no longer a strategic option it's 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 a strategic necessity all organizations need to be innovative they need to find new ways to develop and grow otherwise they will be going um, backwards but if if you think about um what what the likes of kind of Amazon, Apple, Dyson, Gillette all of these amazing companies that have this track record of innovation if you think about what they do Is There are a few things, really. First is, I would say that they have a clear innovation focus. So that could be a performance goal, or it could be an area of expertise, or it could be a set of objectives. So Dyson has realized it's not in the cleaning business, even though it created that uh, bagless vacuum cleaner. It's in the air movement business. And so it's applied that technology to hand dryers. It's just brought out a a hairdryer, and it's got um, air conditioning units for the, for the home. It's in the air movement business, and it's been able to find ways of applying that, that technology in, in different uses. Um, if you go to Amazon, Bezos said about 10 years ago that all of Amazon's innovation is focused on just three things, giving customers more choice, being faster, and lowering prices. So if you think about all of their innovations they are all ways of achieving one of those three kind of broad objectives so that's the first thing having a, this clear innovation focus the second we've touched on before um which is about that ability and desire to experiment fearlessly um there was a there was a survey of some of the top silicon valley entrepreneurs asking them what would drove their success and their number one reason was their ability to experiment fearlessly not to be worried about failure but to be focused on how you you can succeed Um, and I think for organizations that means um, testing things rapidly making prototypes doing things quickly when I was uh, when I was at Boots we weren't particularly innovative at, at the time. We would, if we had a new idea, we would want to do a kind of nice, kind of long plan. And then we would set up a trial and then we would review it. But I remember once we, uh, we were looking at ways that we could sell more of um, the stronger medicines, which were actually behind a counter. You had to go to the counter to get these medicines. But we were trying to find ways, how can we get more of these sales? So what we did is we just spent a day in a store and we made little cardboard Cut out kind of prototypes. One of them just had on on the shelf display saying "stronger medicines at the counter, stronger types of this medicine available at the counter." Just little, just little. um, uh, We called them wobblers. Stuck out from the shelf, and that drove up sales immediately. And we got about ten percent sales growth in those just by doing something very simple. But we just created a very simple prototype, and it allowed us to learn. We're kind of we weren't completely fearless, but we were more fearless than, than we were. Um, and, and I think the third, sorry, yeah, the third one it is, is that you're willing, within this fearlessness, is you're willing to, to cannibalize your own sales. So if you go back to Amazon, it introduced the marketplace where it allowed other suppliers to compete with its own buying teams to offer products to customers. Now, not many retailers do that. Um, but they, it was all part of their offering more choice and lowering prices for for consumers, so that's 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 why they did it. Um, Gillette, you know, it, they had the sensor, the sensor XL, the Fusion, the Fusion Pro. It what I heard someone from Gillette say is they always have the next version ready, even when they're launching their their new version. They're willing to cannibalize their own sales rather than resting on their laurels.
1: I suppose yeah, that that'll. <coughs> So I guess they're kind of stacking them up. Um, so uh, there's not a, a short a long period of time perhaps between each innovation. Is that what they're doing with that?
2: The, uh, I guess Apple did that didn't they with their with their iPods and then with their iPhones, but bring they bring out they bring out a new version that has m- more capability but maybe is lower price over time. and that just prevents it allows you to cannibalize your sales rather than your competitors doing it doing it for you.
1: It is. I'm, I'm dreading when my ipod packs up and i can't get a replacement
2: <laughs> you'd be able to go to an antique fair chris would, the yeah. it. <laughs> they were selling for a lot of money <laughs> when i last
1: looked yeah, yeah but i guess most people use most people use their, their smartphone i like to keep them to keep it separate but um, you are
2: old school chris
1: i'm old school yeah i'm old school <laughs> in that respect um now, while we were preparing for this interview, you shared something with me that I thought was really interesting. And you said that when it comes to implementation, there's an inverse relationship between those who are good at planning and, and don't necessarily react well, but also those that are good at managing performance. you want to explain what you mean? Because I thought that was quite thought-provoking.
2: Yeah, I mean, planning and performance management are things that every organization have to do. So every, every organization, every business does that to a certain extent. But if you think about the kind of the culture, the beliefs, the the routines, and 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 how the business operates, the very I I just think, my observation is they're very different in those that are more planning led, and those that are more performance led. So again, the kind of when I work for Boots, Boots is a is a pharmacy based business. So there's lots of pharmacists in that business, so it likes precision. Um, so it's quite planning led, and it meant that we started doing the operating planning six months before the start of the next financial year. Managers would have to spend six months developing a one-year plan, which I always thought was madness. Because going back to Mr. Tyson, you know, everyone's got a plan till they get a punch in the mouth. It, it never lasted. As soon as you started, things, things were changed. But going back to some other companies, such as Dunelm and, and some of the others I've worked with, they're much more performance-focused. They have a plan. They have a set of priorities, but they're willing to flex and change as they go along. They don't need to have everything dotted before they set off. So, if you think about, if you compare and contrast them, I, what I think is that um, the key beliefs of a planning led organization is that control and coordination will deliver success. As long as we keep things in control, we'll deliver success. Whereas a performance management uh, led business, well, their real belief is: the faster we act, the faster we win. Mm. And and so that is that is a very different kind of organisational style. And then you apply that to how management kind of reviews performance uh, for a for a planning led business. There'll be weekly te- weekly team reviews of the project plan. What have we delivered? Have we delivered this milestone? Have we delivered this activity? Whereas for a performance led business, it will be. Show me the latest prototype, show me the latest solution. Let's have a look at that. So like we were talking about ASDA. We are on-site visits that didn't want need to see a project plan. They wanted to see, well, what's the solution? What are we working on? So them their focus wasn't on delivery against a particular timeline. It was what are the particular results of this latest idea that we've been working on. And they are just they're just very different working styles. And I think it's Hard for a business to be brilliant at both. It tends to veer towards one or towards the other.
1: Mm. So these organisations, like that, sort of came from nowhere. Facebook and you know Google very quickly in terms of its growth. Are they more towards the performance management? Or?
2: I, th- I think lots of startup businesses, more entrepreneurial businesses, they they, they they'll have a business plan, uh, but they are much more performance focused and and the plan is just there as, it's almost there as a tool to gain some support and gain, get, get get some financial resource coming in but entrepreneurial tends to be more performance led as organizations grow and mature they become more they tend to become more risk averse they they get in what so called professional managers and these professional managers are much more into planning and um and control and so over time that is part of the reason that you start to get some of this inertia in, in organizations. And I think it's the leader's job to try and minimize the impact of that and get the organization as focused on performance while still keeping a level of control as, as they possibly can. Mm.
1: It's, a, it's a, good, good, um, a really good one to think about. Really good one to think about. And uh, I think people listening who are maybe leading, I mean, think about which, which way, which, where do they shift towards and have they got the, the balance right? Because I guess there's a sweet spot in there
2: somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there is, but my, my advice would be if you err on the side of action rather than on the side of planning. Mm. It's, it's, yeah. it's, not doing, it's not taking silly risks, but it's erring on the side of action, doing something, trying something, working on something, seeing what works, what doesn't, and then changing accordingly. It will give you faster growth then trying to plan the perfect solution.
1: Excellent. We've not got um, very long left. We've only probably got another sort of couple of minutes, actually. Um, I wonder if you've got um, any final messages that you'd like to leave us with around this area of uh, first and fast.
2: Well, let me think of three actions that that people could take away today and apply to to, to their organisation and to their business. I think the first one is is to raise the bar on your expectations of pace with your people. So just like Richard Baker did when he came into Boots with his memo to his his executive team, what are your expectations? Can you state them as clearly as possible about how important pace is to you in terms of the organisation that you're trying to lead? So that would be the first one. The second, I think, would be to, to really clarify what your top number one strategic goal is. And this is something we haven't really spoken about, but I think... If you can be clear on your number one goal, then everything else becomes a whole lot easier. And I, kind of one of the first things I do with my client is work out what is our number one goal. So, for example, I work with Topps Tiles in the UK. And we worked out that their number one goal was to grow their market share from 25% to 33% of the ceramic tile market in the UK. And in four years, they achieved that. They would never have done that if they hadn't set the goal. So what is your mm-hmm. number one goal? And, and number three would be to reduce and focus your list of strategic projects. In, in most organizations, there are too many projects going on. How can you cull those projects and focus on the ones that really matter?
1: Yeah, enormous amount of sense and uh, wisdom and all of that. Look, Stuart, it's been great talking to you today. And I think you know, you've given some really thought-provoking uh, points to uh, to think about about keeping things simple and keeping things moving forward and i love that you know erring on the uh, you know, on the side of action uh rather than planning um really great and i think in terms of leader you know thinking about are you you know are you a fast-paced leader are you really driving things forward are you creating that environment that people can you know can um can win and perform and uh, and move forward so thanks so much for being on the show I hope you enjoyed it today
2: yeah, my pleasure. really enjoyed it. Thanks, Chris.
1: And if people want to get hold of you, uh, then they contact you. Is, is it Stuart at morgancross.co.uk?
2: It is. Uh, you can, or you can visit my website, which is www.morgancross.co.uk, um, where there's kind of various resources. Or you can also contact me on there. It's got all the contact details on there. Um, or Absolutely. you could buy the book, of course, available Absolutely. on Amazon.
1: Absolutely, I think in you know, in terms of your use, you, Stuart, you, you know, people are hiring you to really help them with strategy, aren't they? That's the uh, you know, a key area for you, I think, isn't it?
2: Yeah, strategy and growth. How can you, how as a business can you can you grow profitably and grow quickly?
1: Wonderful. Well, on next week's um, show, we're going to be repeating uh, the show on engagement that I recorded with John Jennings. It's a really highly listened to show, actually. Um, purely because I'm in charge of my son's football birthday party next week with about 30 kids, I think, to uh, to look after. So wish me luck with that and I shall look forward then the following week to speaking uh, to um, Stephanie Winters, who's a a highly accomplished and famous New York-based cellist, but she also runs lots of workshops for executives on how to really listen um, very deeply. And I've heard Stephanie play absolutely fantastic. Might even get her to play on the show, actually. So do join me for that one. Uh, In the meantime, I wish you well.